The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hey. Hey. Hey, guess what? Hey. It's another episode of the Bad Taste Crimecast. Woo! I'm Janelle. I'm Vicky. You are? Yeah, oh, well, today. Nice to meet you. Okay. Today, really nice to meet you. yeah. Oh. Yeah, what's up, guys? Welcome back Here to those are. of you who have listened to us before. This is your first time listening. A special hello to you. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yes, another episode of the Bad Taste Crimecast. We are here to talk about murder. Murder. That's what we do. Crime. Well, we don't do it. We talk about it. We just talk about it. Yes. <laughs> A lot of murder. Oh, my goodness. It has been quite an eventful last uh, while you're pretty much for me yeah yeah What's happening i feel this is one of the times actually i feel a little less prepared than normal oh i mean maybe get less of. and less prepared yeah no i'm just gonna no i just want to like preface it for everybody else so don't get okay. your expectations up too high okay so here's the thing Destiny came out. Jesus. <laughs> Let me get super nerdy on you for a second. Yes. Yeah, Destiny 2 came out and I've been playing that. I did, um, I had a moment where I was like, okay, if I take this night and this night and write the episodes and then I can have all day Saturday to play, which is exactly what happened. So I wrote my episodes. <laughs> And um, it's beautiful, Vicky. It's beautiful. Here we are today. You know what? It's because I'm devoted to the show. It just brings me back to like high school. I did that when first. Like, I have to write this paper, but I really don't want to write this paper, and I want to do something else. It's like yeah, but in that case, I wouldn't do that. I would just do the other thing. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's how we know that you're an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I now put different things first, like the <laughs> podcast. Oh. I'm so glad it's number one in your heart. I know. (laughs) Well, what do we got to start off with? Oh, Oh, lots of stuff. Well, I have some very exciting H.H. Holmes news. Mm -hmm. If you remember, probably like, what was it, like a month and a half, maybe two months ago? It felt, it feels like it was a while ago. Yeah. We talked about on the show that um, it it was like H.H. Holmes' great-grandchildren had petitioned the courts to get his body exhumed so that they could um, DNA test test Mm -hmm. the remains to make sure that it was him. First of all, I want to give a huge shout-out to Julian because Mm -hmm. I randomly got this article um, from him. And uh, if you remember, he was one of the guys that I went to Eastern uh, State Penitentiary with and he lives in Philadelphia, so um, I I feel like he gets a little bit more of the Philly news, right? You know, <laughs> and I was getting really annoyed because I just hadn't heard anything about like it. Literally, they reported it, and then it was like nothing. You didn't hear, yeah, you didn't really yeah. hear anything. Well, I have the news on was it him or not? Have you heard it? Yes, I have. Oh, yes, it's not a surprise to me. I did see the article already. Well, the big reveal is that. It was H.H. Holmes. I'm not buying it. (laughs) Well, and the article that he sent me, it was from the Inquirer, and um, they did this interview with one of the, I think the anthropologists that looked at the bones and helped to identify them. And the problem was, is that the bones were aged so much that they weren't able to extract DNA from them, Mm -hmm. but they were able to find his teeth and do like a dental comparison. I think. How good were dental records back then, though? You know what I mean? I mean, (laughs) when you're in and out of prison that much, they might be pretty good. I don't know. How can you not be able to do DNA testing on bones like that? Um, But they can do, like, DNA testing on bones they find in England from the 15th century. I'm not buying it. Right? (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't tell you. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a podcaster. Sorry, if you hear random ice noises, I'm sucking down a pumpkin tea latte here. It's kind of early and... uh, Yeah, I need need my strength. So the one thing (laughs) that I did think was kind of funny about this is, so they have this interview with this woman who helped identify the bones, and they asked her if there was ever a moment that she thought there like it wasn't going to be him or they weren't going to find anything and she said not really but they did when they were um like un digging what is <laughs> the word digging, exhuming, digging un- out undigging <laughs> what am i looking for exhuming the body um they found an empty box 
first. Oh, shit. And then they kept digging and they found um, his Was coffin, he just but... really afraid that there were going to be grave robbers? Um, well, part of it, I, so part of it, I think had to do with this kind of myth that has surrounded him, Mm -hmm. where if he did have his body switched out, he wanted like, um, it to be harder to identify his body. So maybe the thinking was if there's an empty coffin, people would stop digging and not like continue to dig to find his coffin. But clearly that didn't happen because they found him. Yeah. Surprise! (laughs) We found you. So case closed on that. Um... Not yeah. as exciting as I was hoping. <laughs> I know. I kind of wished it wasn't him because... I know, right? Like, then... I'm still holding out hope that they just... He took all of his teeth out and just put them in someone else's mouth. Oh. <laughs> Elaborate ruse. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I wish it would have gone on. I think the... it's. I mean, it's like a fun little... I don't want to know the truth. Yeah. <laughs> the truth is Let scary. Me believe what I want to believe. <laughs> Yeah, so that's our um, A.J. Holmes news. We also have, um, there's a new Netflix series. Oh, our little God. Netflix. Netflix update. corner. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Confession Tapes Girl. just came out <laughs> on Netflix, and it looks very good as the, you know, legitimate Netflix documentaries do. Yes. Um, I have not watched it yet. I have. Janelle has. I'm on like six. So give me the dish. Is it good? <laughs> it's What's- good. Um, the first two, so they're kind of breaking it up um, to kind of talk about different cases. The first yeah. two episodes are one case because um, it involves two people as okay. the suspects. Yeah. And then the rest of them are like one person's trouble per episode. Yeah. So what's the, since you've watched most of it, mm-hmm. what is, like, the premise of the show? It's very much about coerced confessions. Okay. And uh, junk forensics. Oh. So right up our alley. We did an episode on that. We Didn't did. We? I yeah. also uh, just did a bad taste bite for this week about junk science and the Innocence Project. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which, if you don't know what she's talking about, we'll talk about it later in yeah. the show. <laughs> I mean, that's yes. our wheelhouse, pretty much, is, is yes. just botched everything to do with the cops and forensics. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it sounded really interesting because I think now, especially with all of the innocence projects, um, really vying for innocent, um, incarcerated people that coarse confessions are becoming something that people are becoming a lot more aware of that they're happening. It's not as like, um, I think people are a lot more. They're starting to realize the tactics about it. Yeah, that um, police officers and detectives are using to get these confessions out of people, and a lot of the stuff that I was seeing was um, cops saying like. Can you tell me what you think happened? Right. You yeah. know? Um, yeah. One of the last episode I just watched was about um, arson and um, how they thought that this woman set her house on fire and killed her daughter. Mm-hmm. And the way that they were trying to get a confession out of her was saying, well, it was a dream. You were just dreaming. You don't know what really happened. Oh, my goodness. And they just kept saying this and saying this and saying this. And finally, she was like, I mean, I don't know what happened. I yeah. could have, you know, been like, out blacked of Blacked out, yeah. But the thing was, she wasn't even home. Oh, wow. She was with someone else. She had a legit, solid alibi. Wow. Yeah. I know, and people always wonder how you can, com- <laughs> like, confess to these crimes that you didn't she's, commit. But when you're under pressure like that, yeah. So, the sad part is a lot of the people that they cover in this series, they're still in jail. Only a few were able to uh, be exonerated. Wow. And it's a real problem. Yeah. Absolutely. So check that out if yes, you're interested. Really, I am really yeah, I'm definitely mm-hmm. um, <laughs> once I need to take a destiny break. I was having like <laughs> conversations with my family about it. Oh weird. It, it was weird. Because I was like, oh, I saw it, and then, you know, my mom and, like, my brothers were like, yeah. hey, did you see this? Because they know that I have to do research. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I did. And they're just talking about it. I'm like, Dude, what is once happening? everybody knows that this is, like, what you do in your free That's time. all I talk all about. The, I actually, it's funny, story. I got tagged in, like, this, it was, like, a BuzzFeed, um, something about kids, like, kids committing murder. Oh, yeah, I saw um, that. I think I got tagged in that twice, actually, mm-hmm. by two completely different people who yeah, cause, um, definitely don't know each other. Karen like, oh, tagged me and yeah. you in it. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. I got tagged by, uh, my friend Summer out in Seattle, so oh, it was, like, uh, I love my friends. Our episode so well. about, <laughs> our episode about Brittany Martinez, one of, um, uh, my co-worker, Nicole, yeah. used to work with her, too, um, mm-hmm. 
Nikki was like, oh my god, my parents, you know, they were, my mom was, like, in the same friends group as uh, her mother, and I'm just like, oh my god. Because then I just started talking about, like, the six degrees of separation, and, like, it was just... Weird. Bananas, but... I mean, that's once someone knows that's what you're into and they I, know yeah. that you have a podcast about it, they, I know. that's all that people want to talk about with you. And I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> oh, I know. My mom has got me a couple, like, uh, serial killer <laughs> books and magazines and stuff. I'm like, oh, I love you, mom. People have brought me, art, like, it's physical great. articles. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. cut from a newspaper. Oh, yeah. Like, oh. Mm-hmm. Or, like, names written on a post-it. No, like, check this murder out. I'm like, oh, okay. We'll take it. You guys are basically doing our research for yes. us. So please. And we thank you. Thanks, friends. Yeah. Um, murder, friends. There was one other thing that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, oh my gosh. So I was um, on Facebook, because I have no Mm -hmm. life sometimes, um, and I saw that there was this new series coming out on September 26th. Okay. It's by the same folks that did Law & Order. Okay. And it's called Law & Order True Crime, The Menendez Brothers. So it's kind of in the same, like, vein as, like, the OJ series that they did. Okay. Um... But it's all about the Menendez brothers, and it just okay. goes through um, their trial, okay. and it looks so. It's like so a good. like a fictional. It's based. I mean, it's based on yeah, so, the crime, but it's like actors. Yeah, so it's a little more okay. embellished. Yeah, yeah. Um, they take, that sounds pretty good. They though. take slight artistic liberties in it. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but it's coming out the twenty sixth. You can go online and see some of the trailers for it. It Looks good. The people that they picked to be the Menendez brothers look so fucking close to them. It's really? scary. Oh my god. It's, they did a great job casting. Do they have? Are there any like big name actors? Um, the in it? woman you know who plays the lawyer—I can't remember her name—but she's a pretty big yeah. actress. Um, they do have some considerable names on there. Um, I'm trying to find her name now because it's going to bother me. But like, look at the guys that they have playing them. Oh my god, that's like scary close. Weird. Edie Falco. Ooh. She's in a lot of, like, yeah. crime, SVU kind of related stuff. And yes. she was yeah, in, yeah. Um, more notably, The Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, yeah. What's that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> what's a, yeah. The Sopranos? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to like, check I know that a out. Face. Yeah. What's a face? <laughs> what's a face? What's a face? All right. Oh, gosh. Well. Yes. Check those out. <laughs> so... On today's episode, what are we going to be talking about, Janelle? Um, so, after we were talking about survivor stories, I got to thinking about, like, domestic abuse and Mm -hmm. all that stuff, and I was looking up laws, and something caught my eye, and I was like, let's do an episode about, like, cases that led to laws being created, or laws changed. Yeah. It was Um, so funny, because we got together, like, a couple weeks ago, talking about what we were going to record for this. And I said, so what did you, what ideas did you have? Like, where are we at? And she said that and I was like, oh my God, that was literally my first idea. <laughs> Same uh, brain. Same yes. brain. If you look at our like, um, ideal lists, it's like, oh, I have that too. Yeah. Oh, I also have oh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, it was meant to be. <laughs> Do you want to start? You want to go first? Oh, sure. I'll jump right ready? in. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. I have like a very long story, so I hope That's- you're Prepared. I'll be able to wrap it up at the end. <laughs> oh, this is the part of the show where we say some of the content might not be appropriate for all listeners. Yes. Um, yes. I feel like lately we've been putting a lot of trigger warnings. Yeah. I mean, really our entire podcast we... is a trigger yeah. warning. <laughs> I mean, we could just tuck it in right before we start talking about the murder yes, stuff. So but, this is that um, part of the show. It's going to get a little graphic with the description of the abuse um, yep. that the woman uh, I'm going to talk about uh, endured. Same. Um, so just, you know, if if you feel like you can turn off for a minute, not an issue. Um, just come back. We'll catch you next Cause time. Because sometimes there's a happy ending, yes. you know? Especially in my story. Yes. <laughs> okay, so um, today I am going to discuss the story of Tracy Thurman. Um, that name might sound pretty familiar to you because there was a, a movie about her called A Cry for Help, the Tracy Thurman story. Um, so the case... Um, is called Tracy Thurman versus the city of Torrington. Uh, So basically, uh, Tracy Thurman lived in Connecticut, and she sued the police department of Torrington, Connecticut, 
Connecticut. Yes. <laughs> That's such a, it's such a difficult name. Torrington. Torrington. Connecticut. Connecticut. Too many T's. <laughs> Connecticut. Uh, <laughs> they've just changed the state mm. name. Uh, <laughs> so, um, she sued them claiming that they failed to, uh, protect her equally under the law against her abusive husband, Charles Buck Thurman. So I'm going to call him Buck. Because that's um, more fun. That's more fun, and to me, that <laughs> is the name of an abuser. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, so um, in 1983, in, like, broad daylight, um, Tracy Thurman was attacked by her husband in the house where she was living, um, and it was pretty, pretty, pretty fucking brutal. He um, stabbed her 13 times and broke her neck. He stomped on her neck. Uh, And the attack lasted 27 minutes in full view of witnesses. People were standing around watching this happen. And no one did anything to stop it. This instantly makes me think of the case of the... I forget what her name is. That was outside the building. Kitty Genovese? Um, Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. They just put up the movie... um, Is it 27? Or 37. However many witnesses yeah. watched her get murdered. Yeah, it's, that's, um, I, that's on Netflix. Yes, yeah? they just I put it up that. on Netflix. They had, they must have had it for a while, because I think I watched it on there a mm-hmm. while ago, and they must have taken it down. Um, so good. Check it out. Yeah, there's there was a documentary up there on it, mm-hmm. and now this is, like, the, like, historical yeah. reenactment of yeah. the case. But it is very, very similar to that. Um, the only thing was, the witnesses that were watching it were police officers. Oh, my God. They let him stab her and step on her neck for 27 minutes before they stopped it. Why? You she don't have to almost, answer that. She almost died. But why? She because survived. what the fuck? But I honestly. mean, seriously. Okay, so basically what happened was she had called the police to um, come and pick him up because he was harassing her and, like, violating terms of his, um, what the fuck is it called? Do you have, like, a restraining order? Yes, that's it. Restraining order. I'm like, the words! They won't come out of my brain. Um, Restraining order. So she called the police, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll be there. And they didn't show up for a very long time, and she went outside to tell him that the police were coming, and that's when he attacked her. Um, So I'm just going to briefly kind of go over what happened that led up to this, and then a little timeline, and then the aftermath. Tracy and Bucky, Buck Thurman... He was Bucky when they first met, and then Buck when they got married. Um, They met when she was 18 years old in 1979. Um, Her mother just died of lung cancer, and he was there, like, kind of, you know, helping her and supporting her. And she decided to drop out of school, and then they left um, Connecticut and moved to Florida briefly. She got a job as a maid at a hotel. Um... He was just working as a local contractor, and she she recalled this in a newspaper article. She said, it all happened so fast right away. It was two weeks, then I started living with him. Um, and he was part of a construction crew that moved from state to state. Um, and he, she said, he made me feel so secure because I didn't have anybody else. Soon, however, he started to beat her. And the first few times she said it was just an argument or something, and he would just slap me, and that was the end of it. So she didn't think it was that bad because it was just a little face slap. I mean, if anyone slapped me in the face, I'd be like, fuck you, dude. Get out <laughs> I'll of slap here. you back. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the abuse steadily got worse. And after uh, she became pregnant with their child, they decided to move back home to Torrington, Connecticut. Um, she separated from him after she moved back. Um, he you know, wouldn't leave her alone, kept apologizing, said he wanted to be part of the child's life, and then he talked her into getting married. So they got married. This is all, like, at this point already, like, you can see the cycle of abuse. A lot of times what it is, is it's, there's the abuse happening, and then apologies, 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 I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Mm Mm-hmm. More abuse happening. The apologies get a little more grand. And when you throw a a child into the mix, that's when it gets scary. On the one hand, you don't want them to not have a father, to never know their father. And you want to give someone a a second chance. Right. But the vast majority of the time, that's not going to stop. And if you're getting abused, your child has a very high likelihood of also getting abused. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so he would repeatedly beat her even when she was pregnant he was beating her and it, it got worse and worse every year one night she was like jarred awake um by him choking her while she was sleeping um Jesus. she almost passed out so that moment was what prompted her to leave for the very last time so she moved out bought her own place they were separated for approximately eight months, um, and she had obtained a restraining order against him to prevent him from harassing her um, because he was threatening to kill her at this time. Oh. Um, oh, well done. Yes. So, I mean, in domestic violence cases, this was in the early 80s. Okay. Um, even still during this time period, if you had a restraining order against your husband, if you were estranged from your husband and they were harassing you, the police did very little to do anything because you were still married to them. Mm-hmm. And even after a divorce, and if you have children, and they still continue to do this, the police are very, very, at this time, less likely to give a fuck and go out there and do something about it, because it's considered a family issue and a family uh, dispute. Yeah. So that's where the problem lies. Let me just go into our little timeline here. All right. So on December 31st of 1982, he that was the date that he called her and told her that if she didn't come back to him, that he was going to kill her. This prompted her to call the Torrington Police Department, and one of the police officers took the call, and even though they knew that she had just put in a restraining order against him, they did nothing and did not go out to visit her. They did nothing to um, him. They didn't arrest him. They didn't talk to him. Nothing. So this is kind of, this is going to be a timeline that's going to kind of tell you all the problems that were occurring and why she decided to sue the police department and okay. that got all this stuff kicked okay. off. So they made no attempt to ascertain where he was or try to arrest him. So between January 1st of 1983 and May 4th of 1983, numerous telephone complaints to the Torrington Police Department were taken by various police officers uh, in which repeated threats of violence to Tracy Thurman by Buck were reported. Um, he was arrested briefly and told that if he does not stop violating the terms of his probation, he would be arrested again. Okay? okay. So they arrested him, talked to him this time. Um, it only took them how much? Uh, four months of complaints before they arrested him finally. Jeez. So on May 4th and May 5th, Tracy Thurman reported to the police department that Buck said he was going to shoot her. What was he? What was the police officer's name? Uh, police officer Stores took the complaint, and Tracy Thurman stated that she was seeking arrest for her husband because of the death threats and violations of his conditional discharge, which was what they had previously done when they, when they arrested him and told him, hey, yeah. if you don't cut this out, you're going to go to jail. Yeah. Um, so, behave yourself. Well. Obviously, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. Um, and they took the complaint, but did nothing. <laughs> I like reading this just infuriates me. Uh, on May 6th of 1983, she filed, um, another restraining order against him. So, previously, it was for harassment. Well, this was for assault, threat, harassment, and, um, was it like a death threat? For some yeah. reason, in the state of Connecticut, you were allowed to <laughs> file for several restraining orders in violation of different things. Oh. So does that make, so does that make, like, the punishment more severe if it's violated? I or? mean, I would assume so. Um, in this one, also, she included her child, whereas in the first okay. one, it was just against her. Okay. So I think by adding the child in yeah. was what would make it worse for him. Um, yeah. Because I guess I don't understand the the point of, like, filing multiple yeah. restraining orders for, like, different harassment, basically. I get, yeah, I don't, I don't get it either, but, I mean, I guess if it's something like stalking versus a death threat. Yeah. Sorry, I just saw that turtle, like, seriously fucking nosedive off that rock. <laughs> don't die, turtle! He got all turned upside down. He was stuck for a minute, again. and that's why I was like, <laughs> I was about to jump over there and pull that turtle out. <laughs> oh, man, it distracted me. <laughs> Animals have my heart. You don't Aww. even know. <laughs> I was like, turtle, no. 
<laughs> okay, back to back to the murder. <laughs> Non-turtle murder. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so she filed a separate uh, restraining order against him. Um, so on May 27th, she requested police protection from the Torrington Police Department. And she requested, again, a warrant for her husband's arrest um, as soon as she got to the police department. And she was told that she would have to wait until after Memorial Day holiday weekend, um, and she was advised to call back on May 31st to pursue the warrant request. Okay. Okay. So then on May 31st, she goes back to the police department, and she says, I'm here to pursue a warrant request for my husband. Um, Then she was advised that uh, one of the police officers, Shop, was the only person that she could talk to in regards to this. Uh, why? Why? Doesn't say why. Says okay. that that person is the person who takes care of warrant requests. Sure. Sure. Right. So on that same day, her brother-in-law called the police department to protest the lack of action against her complaint. And they said, yeah, we advised her that um, she needs to speak with this person and that he was going to be arrested on June 8th of 1983. Okay. Okay. So, Okay. Now it seems like they're doing something. So she has to go back and file a complaint with Officer Shop, and that they were going to arrest him on June 8th. June 10th comes around. Oh, jeez. Okay. He wasn't arrested. <laughs> go figure. Okay. Uh, she never was able to speak with Shop because Shop was never, ever at the police department every time she would come back. All okay? right. So June 10th. I think could have said he's going to be here at this time, this time. Nope. Oh, okay. June 10th. Charles Buck Thurman appeared at Buck. her residence, to, demanding to speak to her. Um, she repeatedly called the police, asking for help. She went outside to tell him to leave, and he attacked her. Oh, my God. So, that entire timeline is what led up. She, I mean, it's not for a lack of trying. She went to the police yeah. department repeatedly for months, yeah. requesting assistance and help, and nobody would help her. So, as I said previously, he stabbed her 13 times and broke her neck. She was left paralyzed on her right side of her body. Oh, my gosh. And pretty much numb, almost completely on her left side. She was in the hospital for seven months. She was able to, like, summon the courage to testify against him. Good for um, her. But she also decided that, you know, fuck this. She's sued the police department for violating her constitutional rights to equal protection. This case was a landmark case. She settled for $1.9 million in 1985. Wow. The movie um, A Cry for Help, the Tracy Thurman story came out. And those events led to the law that really changed everything. And it's called the Thurman Law. It also has a different name. Let me see what it was called. Uh, Family Violence Prevention and Response Act. But Thurman Law for short. Um, so it was instituted in Connecticut in 1986, and the law made domestic violence an automatically arrestable offense. So the minute you report abuse, that person is arrested instead of, you know, yeah, the usual, like, just separate, right. um, take some time. Or you need to file this paperwork. Or yeah, or to... um, if you are in fear of your life, file a restraining order. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. So they automatically arrest the person who was the abuser. Um and that's even if the victim does not want to press charges. Good. They arrest them regardless. So Thurman stated that by following a policy of not arresting abusive husbands and boyfriends, the Torrington Police Department failed to provide the same protection for abused wives and children as they provide for victims of similar assaults outside of domestic relationships. So the court agreed, and they said, all of the police officers that were named in this are held accountable um, for violating the the rights of battered women. Mm-hmm. And they were all sued. Um, Good job. They all went Jeez. on, um, I think it was like four police officers that were actually named in the case. Yeah. Um, they all went out, they went on leave without pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, for six months, they had to pay restitution and they had to go through uh, sensitivity training. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, and that's just, so the thing about this is, is by, by not acting, by not 
going in immediately and trying to pull him out of the situation or her out of the situation or whatever, like that sends a message to other people who also are willing to report their crimes and take the necessary steps. Cause that's a huge thing too. Like it is being in an abusive relationship and being able to report it to somebody or tell somebody and she was trying to get help. What kind of message does that send to other people who are also victims of abuse that somebody who did go through all the things she needed to, to report it mm-hmm. didn't get the help that she needed. It's like, well, what am I going to do? You know, so that's amazing. That's awesome that they at least have like an immediate arrest. Yeah. Um, so, um, law. not only did it change the laws in Connecticut, but it also led to a violence prevention act, um, to be renewed in the United States as a whole in oh, 1986. Good. Um, so once that new law took effect in Connecticut and the 12 months after it was, started, the number of domestic violence assaults reported increased to 92%. Increase? Increase. So the reporting of it. Okay. So what that statistic says to me is that people weren't afraid to report it anymore because they knew that the police would actually help them. Right. Yeah. Instead of just brushing it off and being like, yeah. Why don't you guys just separate for the night? Take a little chill pill. Yeah. Take a walk around the block, you know, because that's usually how people would treat it. Yeah. Um, and then in the first 12 months of this new law, um, the assault, domestic assault uh, arrests doubled from 12,400 to 23,830. Wow. So, okay, first of all, Connecticut has a huge problem with domestic yeah. violence yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. And secondly, congratulations for actually following through and right. arresting these people right off the fucking bat. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to show you a picture of her after she was assaulted. Yeah. Um, she has a lot of scars on her face and it's, so this was a picture of her right after she was beaten. Um, he stabbed the shit out of her. You can see she has a scar across her throat and across her cheek at, he cut her from the corner of her mouth to her ear, like a half a Glasgow oh smile. Oh, my God. Um, and he slit her throat and then stepped on it. And you can see there's a hole in her throat. Yeah. Um, because it he broke her neck. Yeah. Like, she could have died. Yeah. Wow. Um, and they had to go in and completely fix her neck. Yeah. She really can't speak very well. She had so much damage to her vocal cords from being stepped on. And, sure. I mean... I'm, you know what? Horrible. I'm happy though that she was she able survived. to survive that so that she could go on to, um, you know, be a, su- a supporter of something that's going to help a lot of other abuse yeah. victims that and, are in I the mean, same situation that she was. Props to her for going through and testifying against him in court. Yeah. And for going yeah. one step further and suing that fucking police department. Yeah. I mean, totally. I. <laughs> The reason I did this story was when I was younger, I actually saw the movie A Cry for Help. My what mother really, really loved Lifetime movies. Oh, yeah. And this movie actually played on NBC, and then they played the reruns on um, Lifetime. Yeah. And I watched it with my mom, which was probably something you shouldn't watch, because I was like, what, eight or something when it came out? <laughs> it was like 95, 96. Um, yeah. The movie does a really good job of capturing... That that horror, that just utter, just being scared out of your fucking mind. Yeah. The yeah. desperation. Um, for a TV movie, it was actually very good. I recommend watching it. I'm sure you can find it. Wow. It was pretty big. Yeah. In the 90s. In, uh, in the 90s, it was pretty big. <laughs> we all know how um, Lifetime movies no. were in the 90s. About but, the same as they are today. <laughs> nothing has <Yeah>. changed. <laughs> um, but it's a really good story. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That is crazy. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, I'm sorry for bringing again, it down all the time. A situation where something really great came out of that. I mean, it's not the ideal yeah. situation, but she was able to turn it around. And, and sorry, I can't say Connecticut. Connecticut. <laughs> I just can't speak this morning. I'm just too jacked up on pumpkin tea lattes to even uh, be able to talk. It is pumpkin season. Right? I'm so excited. Who's excited? I'm excited. <laughs> We're such basic bitches right now. Oh, yeah. No, I totally said a a snap out that was like hashtag basic bitch life. Oh, yeah. I don't really like the the pumpkin spice from Starbucks. I worked there for such a long time. Yeah, that's fair. And I was just like, but I found this little coffee shop that I get their pumpkin from. So good. 
Forget it. Now I understand what all you basic bitches are raving about. Yeah, it's <laughs> raving about that pumpkin spice latte. Oh my god. Okay, way to end it on a light note, though. Yeah, you know, pumpkin spice lattes. Yes, yes. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna take us across the pond. Ooh, yeah. And I'm actually... actually don't get international no, enough. No, we don't. And it, this one is really fun. Um, so I'm, we're gonna go to the UK. Mm-hmm. And when I was writing this, I was actually on uh, talking to one of my friends with... Uh, about this, talking to one of my friends in the UK about some of these things, I'd get to a point and be like, what does this mean? (laughs) I don't know. What does this mean? I don't know. So it wasn't super helpful, but, you know, I always like asking UK questions to UK people. Anyway, (laughs) um, moving on. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So we're going to talk about Roy Whitting. And this is um, probably, I normally like to give a little, like, back history, but he didn't really have a really interesting one. So it's going to be a condensed version of that this week. Um, He was born in Sussex in 1959. His parents got divorced in the 70s. Really nothing exciting in his childhood. Not, like, didn't really have a history of abuse or anything unusual like that. Um, In 1975, he left Ifield Community College. He didn't receive any academic qualifications from that. He uh, ended up working as a delivery man and a car mechanic and a paint sprayer in a local garage. By 1986, Roy got married to Linda Booker, although they got divorced in 1990. That okay. is your early condensed history. There, there we go. Is. Short, sweet, yeah. basic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I am going to be giving some descriptions of child abuse and sexual abuse. So if that is something you don't want to listen to, just skip ahead a little bit. Um, so, in 1995, an eight-year-old girl is abducted in the Langley Green District of Crawley. The car that she was seen being taken into was described as a red Ford Sierra with a Bart Simpson sticker. (laughs) Very specific. Um, Yes. And... This description actually matched a car that Roy, coincidentally, had recently sold. Mm-hmm. Um, and an acquaintance of his came forward to the police saying, I feel like I know whose car this is. I know that Bart Simpson sticker. Oh, my God. Because I imagine in the UK there's not a whole lot of Bart Simpson stickers. I think so. Well, and in 1995, it's like, who puts stickers on their cars? Do people do that? I have stickers all over my car. From 1995? No, but I mean, like, I have stickers on my car. Do you have a Bart Simpson sticker? No. I mean, I do that now, too. I have hippie stickers, like, grow food. That's fair. Yes. Um... He had abducted and sexually assaulted the missing eight-year-old girl, and he would be arrested on these charges. Um, He also later would actually admit to these charges, um, I'm assuming after he just denied it for a while. Mm -hmm. And he would be sentenced to four years in prison for abduction and indecent assault. But... Um, the thing about that was, is that because he had committed, or because he had admitted to the crime, he actually received a lighter sentence than he would have. The maximum sentence was life imprisonment for that crime. Oh, wow. Yeah. I feel um, like that's not but it's still like the case. I know. Well, and that's crazy to me that because he admitted to it, he only got four years. <sighs> yeah. It should be the opposite. Which is like, yeah, which is like, oh, well, you just get this, like, little slap on the wrist. Okay. You're starting to see where this oh, problem hey, is coming you're in You're touching already. children? Yeah. yeah. They'll get over it. Yeah. Like, no. He also, at the time that he was convicted, when he went in, he received a psychiatric assessment, and the psychiatrist um, determined that he would actually have a very high probability to reoffend. Right. Which, I mean, is usually the case. Yes. So, he, um, Roy was released from prison in November 1997 after serving only just over half of his four-year prison sentence. Are you kidding me? No, I am not. Um, the only reason, so, he, it was like, he got out in the later part, what did I say, November 1997? Mm -hmm. He would have been released in June, of that year. However, he had refused to take part in this rehabilitation program that they were like saying he needed to be into. So instead of that, he just stayed until November and they let him out then. So that's cool. Oh my God. Um, he also is actually one of the first people to be placed on a sex offender registry. Okay. In Britain. Um, 
So, after... And that was in the... What was, year? He was released in 1997. Okay. Okay. Um, for some reason, I was like, when did we start having registered sex offender abuse? It would have been mm-hmm. around the same 90, time, yeah, in yeah. the mid to late 90s, I mm-hmm. want to say. Um, which is, it seems a little weird to me, that because that's actually not that long ago. No. I don't know. But it's then not. we've ta- I mean we've talked about things too where like in the early 2000s police departments didn't have um like the capabilities to handle rape uh <sighs> they still claims. don't some Yeah. Them. Yeah. Ugh, it's just crazy to think about. Um so after he was released, he Roy in- decided instead of returning to Crawley where he had committed the crime and probably wouldn't really be welcome back, um he decided to move to Littlehampton, one word. Yes. Uh, that sounds like a make-believe. Little Hampton? Like, yeah. It sounds yeah. like a, a British comedy television show. Little Hampton, one yeah. word. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's a real British place. Oh my god, it's a real British place. <laughs> sounds real uh, British to me. <laughs> he would live there pretty quietly until July 2000, oh. when Sussex, po- Sussex police <laughs> went to his flat to question him. They were asking about a girl named Sarah Payne who had been reported missing from the same area the previous evening. She, Sarah, had been playing hide-and-seek with her siblings in a cornfield, and it sounds to me like this this little Hampton area is, like, pretty country. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one word. Yeah. <laughs> one word. Definitely one word. country. Um, so they were playing hide-and-seek in a cornfield, and while they were playing, Sarah actually fell and hurt herself. So she decided to walk up this country road to her grandparents' house, okay. um, which was just up the road. Um, her brother Lee started to look for her after a short time, and while he was looking for her, he witnessed a strange man in a car that drove by waving and grinning. And later, this man would be identified as Roy Whitting. He drove by waving. Waving and, and grinning. grinning. Hey! Oh my I know, god. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, huh, that's weird. Um, when Sarah was abducted, one of her shoes fell off in the road, and police were able to find um, that and send it for forensic testing. Oh. And the testing would find that fibers found on the shoe matched fibers that came from Roy's van. Uh, which, like, when I say that, sounds like a really creepy statement. Like, <laughs> fibers from Roy's van. Anyway, um, I also feel like... You know like, how much I trust matching yes. carpet fibers? Well, here's... Zero. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's the other thing, is that after searching the van, they also found a t-shirt that had a strand of blonde hair on it. Mm-hmm. They were able to extract DNA from the strand, which, if you did listen to our episode on junk science, this has to mean that there was a root... Uh, the root of the hair was still attached to the mm-hmm. strand of hair. Otherwise, you couldn't pull DNA from it. Yep. Which made me feel a little Thanks, bit better. Thanks, Selena, for letting yeah, us right? know that information. Yeah. I was just like, just just take a hair. Just like any part just of the hair. It, just yeah. cut it. <laughs> no, you have to have the root on the bottom to actually extract the DNA from it. So that kind of made me feel a little bit better about um, the carpet fiber. Yeah. Um, it was found from this DNA uh sample that there was a one in a billion chance of it belonging to somebody that wasn't Sarah Payne. Really fucking guy on a motorcycle? <laughs> right now. <laughs> I thought you were doing that because I was talking about what Also that, but also yeah. like you're trying to tell me something beautiful and like fucking match. Guy on a motorcycle right outside the yeah, front door. <laughs> don't you know we're doing a podcast? Don't God you fucking it. know we're doing a podcast right now? <laughs> Um, at his, at his no trial, yeah, right. Uh, so at Roy's trial, a pathologist testified that the most likely cause of death was asphyxia caused by strangulation or suffocation or a combination of both. But due to the advanced state of decomposition of the body, it wasn't possible to definitively determine if or how Sarah had been sexually assaulted. Mm. Okay. Um, the interesting thing about this, well, there's a lot of interesting things about this one, but one of the interesting things is that it wasn't discovered until after Roy was arrested that he had been in prison previously for abducting and indecently assaulting an eight-year-old girl. I mean, isn't all assault indecent? I mean, 
Yes. British people. But like I, to yeah, specify. I know. I think, well, I think that's like the nice British way to say sexual assault without it saying that. Decent. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they didn't know about that until after he had been arrested. Like they didn't, even when they went and questioned him the first time. And they didn't like look him up and be like, oh, yeah, here I it is. I guess not. <laughs> um, this sounds like some shoddy police work. So when this <laughs> got out to the public that like he had been arrested and he had already been in prison for this other sexual assault, the public got pissed. I mean, they, yeah. there was this huge public outcry for something to be done um, about, I mean, in general, I think about people on He was a registry. pedophile. Yes. <laughs> That's how they say it mm-hmm. in Britain. <laughs> yes, they do. Pedophile. <laughs> I um, love that so much better. They say words so much better, they like do. aluminum. Oh, no. <sighs> aluminum? What the aluminum. fuck is that? I only know what aluminum is. <laughs> um. So the public called for what what they wanted was a controlled public access to the sex offender registry. Right. Kind of like what we can do now by looking it up. Kind of, mm-hmm. but better. But better. I, I actually, yeah, I actually think the system is a lot better. Awesome. Um, the public access to this registry had been brought into question before because. Um, well, for a couple of things. First of all, the officials really worried that there would be, like, uh, vigilante justice right. brought onto these people. And I don't think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a, a legitimate concern. Yeah. In the U.S., we have really kind of an unfiltered public access. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who's on a registry, it's public knowledge. You yep. can go onto websites. a thousand times. Yeah, and see if there are people, uh, uh, convicted sex offenders, that have to report in your neighborhood. And I'm sure there are places where that hasn't worked out really well. And my feeling... I take some issue with that, though, because people who are um, convicted of statutory rape are on there as well. Mm -hmm. Whereas it doesn't differentiate between what the crime is. Yeah. It could be anything. Well, and my thing, too, is for people who are um, sex offenders or pedophiles, some of those people go through rehabilitation programs and really turn their lives around, Mm -hmm. not saying that what they did was right, but they have made an effort to, um, better themselves so that they don't reoffend. what is wrong with them. Right. And I, I kind of under, I mean, I do understand the reason why people want them on a registry, but at the same time, I don't think those people who are, are making the effort to better themselves should, be attacked by random people. It's in the a, it's you know a fine I mean? line yeah. and a slippery slope. Uh, I mean, especially with the, the broad spectrum of ways that you can be arrested for a, like sexual crimes. I mean, mm-hmm. indecent exposure or statutory rape. I don't think an 18 year old boy and a 16 year old girl right. having a relationship is really statutory rape, but yeah, you can be exactly. convicted for that. Yeah, it's and you will be a sex consent. offender for yeah. the rest of your life. Yes. So to me, that's not really fair that you're on a registry and you, I mean, you yeah. can't explain what happened. It just says you are a sex offender. Right. And it's, again, especially if you are going through programs and you're making the effort mm-hmm. to make sure that you don't reoffend. And that I don't the want to sound like we're defending safe. sex. No, offenders, I don't. But, but I know our system is flawed, and yeah. I think that people need to acknowledge the flaws in the system yeah. so that it can be better. And I don't think there <laughs> is one brand of sex offender. No, either. I think there are different levels and different severities, and some people can be helped, and some people really can't. I exactly. mean, there are just vicious people out there who cannot be helped. Um, I mean, I'd like to think that everybody can be helped, but, like, at the same time, being Sometimes realistic, Sometimes it's just you know? so ingrained yeah. in your psyche, your personality, that yeah, there's no real way to help you. Right. Yeah. So, they definitely worried about this kind of, like, vigilante justice if it was just, uh, like, a public free-for-all, essentially. Um, they also thought that this might actually drive, like, convicted pedophiles and sex offenders underground, Making it more difficult to track them. So mole people? 
Well, <laughs> I mean, I think they, not underground, like literally. Hiding. They become caves sex of pedophiles. Yeah. Not literally, but, you know, definitely like oh, taking man. them off the grid and making them harder to track that and therefore like making their registries like. Like Law and Order episode. Like Law underground Order pedophiles? SVU. It's an underground. SVU pedo cave? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the episode title, <laughs> the pedo cave. The pedo cave. Oh my god. Oh man. Anyway, um, <laughs> gotta lighten it a little bit. <laughs> so what they did is they decided to release a modified system. This is one of those things that I had to ask my buddy about. They mm-hmm. call them schemes, which I found really weird, and I just couldn't figure out how that word worked in that context but yeah. it's, it's they use the word scheme scheme for things like programs so they have like a um yeah when i think of scheme i think yeah of they like, talk about this scheme that they had that's so it's essentially like a being written it's off. almost like that's a program or like scheme. scheming yeah, yeah. <laughs> plotting anyway, i'm just gonna call it a system <laughs> okay that's fine. um so they decided to release this modified system that parents could make inquiries about a named individual um, they released this into four pilot areas before it was enacted by the Home Office, which is, like, their version of Homeland Security, mm-hmm. um, across the whole of England and Wales, and it was called the Child Sex Offender Disclosure Scheme. Okay. So, under this program, which is also called Sarah's Law, for short, um, it allows anyone to formally make a request for uh, to police for information about whether somebody with access to a child has a record for child sexual offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, police will disclose any details of this named individual confidentially to the person most able to protect the child. So it's people like parents, child uh, caretakers, or like guardians, like legal okay. guardians. Um this in inform- like teachers and school systems, right? Okay, yeah. Um, but only if they're like the person most able to protect the child. So if you have somebody maybe in like um, like child protective services or something like that, okay. uh, the authorities will only release this information. However, if they believe that it's in the child's interest, so they're not just releasing this information willy nilly. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I think so and so is a convicted sex offender i want to know about they're not just gonna like release it for no reason yeah right um since the introduction of this system in the uk a total of 708 guardians across england wales and scotland have used the service thanks which sounds pretty good um so it seems to me that the system is a little bit more successful. That's also why I like it a little bit better mm-hmm. than our system because it is really a free for all in the U.S. Oh, yeah. You can just find them. I can look up. Whereas it's at a little bit point. more mm-hmm. monitored, I think. Um. Any, anyway, I think it's just a little bit better system yeah. than they got in the U.K. Do they also have <clears throat> to have them report to some like the sex offenders have to report somebody who can't be within whatever amount of miles of children yeah i would assume that they would definitely have to report i don't know about um like we have really strict laws on Mm -hmm. how close to a park a school um people with children Mm -hmm. different i mean you can't like live within such a distance in some places it makes it really hard to live because there's like no overlap um so I'm not sure about all that, but I would assume they would have to report. Mm-hmm. And, like, if they move, they have to report when they move kind of a thing. Um, if you're wondering about what happened to Roy Whitting, he was initially sentenced to a 50-year minimum term, but he applied to the Court of Appeals, and he had his term reduced by 10 years. Um, <sighs> he is currently set to be released in 2041, However, on a lighter note, he's been attacked a few times while he's been in jail. That happens a lot. Yeah. Um, That's why they always say, like, you know, say you murdered someone. Yeah. Say that you were abusing a child or a sex offender. No. Yeah. That's, like, a universal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, no-no. Which is hilarious to me that, like, people in jail have a code of laws. I know. It's like, you can murder someone, but how dare you abuse someone? I mean, really, what's the difference? They have some some morals. (laughs) Um, So, in 2011, he was stabbed in the eyes with a sharpened toilet brush. I did not think you were going to say eyes. Yeah. I thought you were going to say ass. He was stabbed in the ass. Oh, pow, right in the ass. With a sharpened... Toilet brush? Toilet brush. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and then in January 2016, most recently, he was beaten with a hot water flask and scalded. 
How did they get a hot water flask? I, it's UK. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, I guess their commissary is a little bit different. Yeah, maybe. I need a hot water bottle flask. <laughs> yeah, it might be cold. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, so he is going to be in jail, it looks like, until at least 2041. It's his real yeah. estate. Unless he gets, um... There's got to be a better way to, yeah. like... Ugh. Ugh. I should have been a lawyer or something. Yeah. <laughs> that, I really found that one interesting, just it, it being in a different country, because we do have such a similar law here that mm-hmm. it's a little less regulated. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there was something I was listening to where the woman who helped get our law enacted kind of regretted the way that it was... Like, it initially sounded like a really good thing, but the way that it was enacted, she kind of regretted it a little bit. Um, just because of how it went down. Exactly, because you don't think about people using that information in yeah. a negative way. You think about people using, okay, well, there's this person who just moved into our neighborhood and he's a registered sex offender, or she. Yeah. Could be he or she. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's not discriminate. Um, you know, I want the community to know so we can keep our children safe. Right. But you also don't think, like, a group of parents going over there and beating them with baseball bats, because that also happens. Right. Well, and I wonder, too, like, when you go to get something like that enacted, the final product isn't always what you went no. in there with, Anytime too, because you put lawmakers a law coming in actions, and changing yes. and tweaking, so... Because it has to be yeah. bipartisan. Yeah. We're not a political podcast. No, we are not. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was just interesting to take a look at one in the UK. Yeah. I kind of just want to wrap this up. Uh, our stories with kind of just a little PSA. Okay. Um, if you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence or abuse, there is a hotline you can call. Um, it's the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and it is 1-800-799-7233. There are people there who can help you if you just need to talk to somebody. Um, there's also ways to volunteer if you want to um, help someone who's in need, um, but it's anonymous. You don't have to say your and name. And this is in the U.S., right? This is the U.S. Yeah. Um, there are tips on how to recognize abuse if you feel like someone you know is being abused. Uh, there's really great tools on there and, again, ways that you can help other people. Yes. Um, but I highly recommend checking out their website. It's thehotline.org. Um, we'll post that information um, in the show notes as well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> cool. That's all I wanted to say about that. Good job. <laughs> Way to be proactive. I know. All right. We could do good sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right? So coming off the back of all of that, I do mm-hmm. have a great uh, podcast suggestion this Ooh. week. I don't think it's one that I've talked about. I've decided I have to actually go back and <laughs> write down the ones that I've already talked about. Um, but it is a podcast called In the Dark. Um, you can find this at apmreports.org slash in the dark. Um, this is actually the story of the abduction of Jacob Wetterling, um, which when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to like child abduction, abductions next to Johnny Gosh, I think Jacob Wetterling is another one that people will instantly think of. I would love to cover both of those. Yeah. Um, so the deal with that is that the, um, case has been open for 27 years and it's in this rural Minnesota town. The reporter um, and the host, I think, Madeline Barron, I believe she's also the host, not just the reporter. It's been a hot minute since I listened mm-hmm. to this one. Um, but they kind of go through how there was a lot of, like, law enforcement mishandling of yeah. um, some of the things in the case and how on a larger scale that affected this idea of, like, stranger danger and, like, how um, offenders are perceived and how this kind of led to the nation's sex offender registries. So um, definitely check it out. Super good, very well produced, and um, I believe they're still working on a second season. Not okay. about this case, but about something else. So mm-hmm. um, you can get that on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of listening to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Segway. So, yes. We have actually some really exciting announcements. Um, burr, burr, burr. Yeah. We, it's actually been a hot minute, I think, since we announced anything super exciting. No. Um, we're boring most of the time. <laughs> we're on a new podcasting service. Yay. It's called 
Otto Radio. That's O-T-T-O radio.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they have added us to their library, so you can now listen to us on another service. We're right alongside. It was kind of this trippy moment when we found out that we had been added. I was like, say what? Yeah. Well, and I was like scrolling through the list of other podcasts in the true crime category, and it was like, oh my God, there's our name right next to all these podcasts that true I crime listen garage, to all the Right time. next to them. I was like, yeah, what? it was this kind of big moment. So uh, check out Out of Radio. They also also have a ton of other great content on there yes. too, stuff that I have not seen. So yeah, we were hand selected. Okay. We were. They picked us. We were, in <laughs> fact, yeah. Didn't even be like, well, do you want us? And they were yeah. like, we want you. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that again is Auto Radio, O T T O R A D I O dot com. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Do you want to do the next big announcement? Can you see what it is? Oh my gosh, what is it? Oh my god, can I even read? Hey guys. Hey, there's... Oh, we got no, I was telling you to announce that. Shh, shh. Hey guys. I got a secret. It's not... Merch is coming! Yes. So it is official! We are working on some merch for the podcast. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Um, we told our Patreon supporters already, but now yeah. we're going to tell you guys. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we do have some merch coming. Mm-hmm. Some We're looking at some Exciting mugs stuff. and yeah. some maybe bags. Bags. If there's anything specific that you guys would be interested in having like merch-wise, hit us up on our social media mm-hmm. um, and let us know. I mean, if you have an idea for something, yeah. Also, some let favorite us know. Quotes. We like quotes and some or fan art. Throw some fan, fan art, art out there. We're okay with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that is really exciting. That should be up. I would say probably in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. We might. I mean, when it goes up, we might just like release a little special something yeah. to let you guys know. But mm-hmm. um, keep an eye out on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for when the merch goes up. Yes, that's very exciting. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, um, yes. Our Patreon supporters will get a special um, little coupon code to use in our merch store. So if you are a Patreon supporter or you'd like to become one, just another incentive. It is. From us to you. Yes. <laughs> so earlier in the show, Janelle mentioned something about uh, a, it's called a bad taste bite. Mm-hmm. And so we've. I'm super creative. No. Yeah. We've decided to do these bad taste bites. They're basically little clips about random things mm-hmm. once a week um, for our Patreon subscribers. Yes. If you subscribe at the $5 level or more, you'll get weekly little clips from us about yeah. random things. I did one on Labor Day and like mm-hmm. workplace slayings. That was yeah. really fun. Janelle did one on the eclipse. That yes. one was really fun. Yeah. So they're just fun little short snippets to get, you know, kind of give you a little something extra to our supporters. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we'll be doing some more interesting stuff. We're hopefully going to do something special for Halloween for yeah, our we Patreon were just, supporters. Just talking about that right before we started recording because so you keep know, that we're in on top mind of our if shit. you're obsessive about Halloween yes. like we are. Oh, I'm so excited! <laughs> it's September, guys. We're so close. I went to Joanne Fabrics yesterday, and they have all their Halloween stuff oh out. Oh my god, I had yeah. to stop myself. Yeah, they have these cute little. They're like beagle skeletons. <laughs> they're so cute. I know. <laughs> Is there a wiener dog one? No. Oh. They had something else. It was like a owl or maybe a, a, frog. a frog. I don't know. Some it was something real weird. A bat. Sure. Something Halloweeny and a skeleton. Mm, I can't decorate my house. Yes. If you are thinking, <laughs> I'm going to move on to the next thing. Otherwise, you're going to keep going about Halloween. <laughs> I could. Um, if you were thinking, man, I really want to donate to their podcast, but I don't want to be a monthly subscriber. We have an option for that too. Yes. You can make a one-time donation to our PayPal at. The bad taste crime cast at gmail.com. Yes, yes. Um, if you want to do that, it we're independently produced mm-hmm. and all of that money basically goes to just covering costs yes. of web hosting, media servers, et cetera, et cetera. That I mean, we didn't even know we were gonna need when we started yeah. making this podcast. Especially literally. now that we're getting yeah. into like merch and stuff mm-hmm. and designing and all these things, yeah. like it's a lot of time. We gotta pay our designer. <laughs> I mean, eventually we'd like to pay, like, TIFF something. Oh, yeah, we would like to pay Starbucks cards. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I laugh at the designer because I'm the... Yeah. I don't know if they do that. I was, like, a little wink, like... She over. Yeah, that's me. I know Um, it's you. We would like to pay TIFF, though, at one point. Yes, I mean, she deserves it. Yeah. Besides just Starbucks. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Maybe throw a little something Jason Z's way. Oh, yes. Yeah. We try to spread the love, not just keep it for ourselves. (laughs) So, yes. <laughs> I like the face you made. You were like, mm, maybe. maybe. <laughs> I 
don't know. Sometimes. I like to share. <laughs> if I definitely, if, I mean, if I have to think about it for like one second, I don't, that must be yeah. something. Maybe not. Okay. Um, I'll share my portion. <laughs> we'll share uh, <laughs> but I'm yeah, not so sharing it, mine. It just, it just yes. really helps because yeah. it is a, it is a lot of work. It's like I have a second job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening. Our sound and editing is done by Tiff Weech. Our music is done by Jason Z, the Enigma. Burr, burr, burr. Oh, I forgot wait. the button. No, I have it this You time. have the button. Yeah, I just didn't have it open. Let Man, me try that again. Every time we say Jason Z, we got a burr, burr, burr. I know. Okay, let me try that again. <laughs> All right, guys. Our sound and editing is done by Tiff Weech. Our music is by Jason Z, the Enigma. <laughs> yes! I don't know if it was loud or quiet because I had my sound off because we were recording a podcast. Point is, we love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yes, thank you guys. Bye! Bye! It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all people in some form or another. Man, it was a mess at the end there. Hamas. All right. Hamas Central.